Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, folks, to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. We've got uh, quite the crowded virtual studio today, so uh, can you tell us about the topic and our guests for this episode? Yes, Grant, I'm very excited. We're doing something a little bit different today. We're going to be talking to not one, not two, but five special guests today who are here because they are part of a groundbreaking industry initiative, Open IIoT. So this was founded a few years ago with the mission of delivering valuable, efficient and easy to understand information on Industry 4.0, Industrial Internet of Things, which is the double IOT, and other related topics to end users and the broader manufacturing industry. Now, Open IoT comprises a consortium of companies, five of which are represented here today. Joining us in the studio are Jim Wallace from Baloof, Harry Mulder from Beckhoff, Wade Leslie from Kuka, Max Yarmatz from Nord Drive Systems, and Joseph Check of SMC. Welcome to all of you. To start with, we're going to do a quick whip around as each of you introduce yourself and tell us what role you play at your company and most importantly, what your company brings to the open IIoT platform. Jim, we're going to start with you. Good morning, thanks. I'm the sales manager for uh, Balaf for Australia and New Zealand. Balaf are a, a sensor specialist uh, we're um, also a specialist in connectivity, identification, uh, vision systems. Um, we're actually celebrating 100 years um, in business this year. Uh, and it's, it's great to know that we're still at the cutting edge of, uh, of technologies. Being the sensor specialist uh, as part of the Open IoT Consortium, which the, the, the group each has their own specializations, I guess that Balaf are really the eyes and ears of the uh, of the consortium. Uh, so the um, IoT doesn't happen without sensors. Sensors have to generate the data in the first place. Uh, and, and with that data, then we can pass that on to the other members of the group. Well, that's, um, yes, the eyes and the ears, that's, that's super important. Harry, how about Beckhoff? Yeah, we provide the control systems that drive the whole IoT systems. Um, I guess we're the brains. Uh, we, we carry the program. Um, we do all the controlling of the whole site, really. Um, so I'm the principal control engineer uh, based up here in Sydney, and um, it's, it's, we're, we're all around the country. Wade, you're going to have to come up with some body part for your, your contribution. <laughs> Yeah, not 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 sure that uh, I, I guess if, if we're going body parts, you know, the, the, the robot's gotta be the arm, right? So um but yeah, so I'm I'm the country sales manager for Kuka Robotics in, in Australia and New Zealand. And and Kuka has is you know had a long history of, of pioneering in, in technology and you know, with a, a mission of making life and work easier, you know, industry four point is, is really the next, you know, um, chapter in, in that evolution. So uh, it really made a lot of sense for us to be part of this this group and, and working with with these companies to um, you know, drive that message in in, uh, in Australia. Max, what about Nord? To to stay within the body part terminology, I would say Nord is the muscle in the system. As a drive system supplier, we we drive machines all around the world, and Nord is a supplier of gearboxes, motors, and frequency inverters. And the frequency inverters have been developing within the last 30 years. So they're, they're kind of the smart part of the system. And 
also our interface to the other members of the IoT group. I'm the managing director here of Nord in Oceania, and Nord is a German company um, supplying more than 30,000 customers in 36 countries in the world, and happy to be here today. Thank you. Fantastic. Now, Joseph, lucky last. <laughs> uh, lucky last. Last but not the least. Thank you, Lindy. Um, good morning. And uh, my name is Joseph Czech from SMC Corporation of Australia and New Zealand. I'm a global accounts manager and digital business development manager as well. Um, look, I'm not sure if we're sticking to the body parts team here as well, but with 12,000 products in our standard range and 700,000 variations, we're pretty hard to stick to one body part. But um, look, I think just to give it a general summary, um, SMC Corporation are the, uh, the largest global manufacturer, designer, and a supply of, of pneumatic electro-pneumatic automation components. I'm confident most would uh, recognize the name SMC globally. Yeah, no, well, you certainly, you're, you're probably some of the, you've got the vital organs in there and you've, you've also got the, the innovation lifeblood. Um, so we'll, we'll move on from that now. So what I'd like to look at now as we dig down deeper into what Open IoT does and what each of your companies contributes, Harry, I'm going to ask you about Beckoff. Beckoff assists clients in the manufacturing industry with automation control, as you mentioned, um, that links to the cloud. What are the most common barriers to adoption that you are finding among clients? Yeah, well, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think the, the most important thing is the clients, what we find, are very, very keen to uh, learn about IoT, double uh, IoT, um, because they're all very, very keen to improve what they do. They realise they it's not just a matter of if they must, because they realise that the competition's out there, uh, and if they don't improve what they do, they will be overtaken by the competition. So they're very, very keen to learn about double uh, IoT. Uh, surprisingly, it's not so much financial we find. Um, most people are prepared to spend the money because they realise that they must overcome their competition. Um, so the main barriers, I think, are, are really, uh, it's, it's really an acute lack of understanding that we find. It's, it, it's quite quite lacking in that way, that people really just don't understand what IT is about or what it can do or what's required to make it work. They don't know who to talk to, who to, who to find. And, and that's what we really find that uh, the, the, the Open IoT group can really fill that void, if you like. We, we explain what IoT is, what it can do, and how it all fits together. And uh, with this group of company that we that we have, we're all working together. We're all complementary. We're not competitive at all. And so we're able to provide a very comprehensive range of products uh, for really anything what the customer would want to do. So we, re we recently did a podcast on Industry 4 and the uptake of it in the Australian market. And what came through quite clearly on that was that Australia is still lagging. Would you agree with that, that statement? How do you think Australia is tracking in terms of Industry 4 uptake when you compare us to the rest of the world? Definitely behind. I would agree with that. Um, I think the main reason why I think is just purely uh, lack of understanding of what, what it's about. Um, I think uh, Europe and, and North America um, are, are the leaders in it that way, particularly Western Europe. I think they're the, the trendsetters in this in this industry. Um, and you see that from the various websites. I know ours has got a lot of very in-depth stories about how people have used IoT and what they've done with it. And it's, it's, it's really fantastic to see. 
what we found at, at Beckhoff is it's, it's an interesting little dynamic is that there are a few people that have really run with it and are doing great things with AAOT and then they force you to sign the NDA, the dreaded uh, non-disclosure agreement, which means that, you know, we can't tell you, talk to you about it. But they're doing wonderful things with it. And, and I think that's also a little bit different. I think in Europe, particularly, people are much more open. They, they without giving any trade secrets away, of course, uh, that, that they do talk about what they do. But, but yeah, look, the, the uptake is definitely uh, more hesitancy in Australia than in other countries. Now, Jim, your company specialises in sensors and measurement systems, as you mentioned. Now, when it comes to implementing Industry 4.0 in the factory, what is the most common starting point? I think we have to um, acknowledge that usually the client is the expert in their own field. Uh, And it's really a case of um, consulting with with the client to to see whether they lose maybe real-time visibility of, of what's going on in the system and if you could gather some more information either about the system or maybe even parameters around surrounding the system, uh, what value could you get from that? Uh, so that's the, I think that's always the starting point, understanding what information you want to collect and then how we collect that information and what we do with that, with that information is all uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, but the, the real key is understanding what's the value of that lost information and how could that adversely affect your process? And if you had some more information, how could that possibly improve the process? And that helps to um, firstly generate the, the value proposition. Uh, but also, I think that it's, it really gives you a focus uh, so that you try and implement the solution in a, a place that's going to make a real difference rather than trying to um, kind of implement it across the whole plant, which is really, really difficult to get traction with. So you speak there of the information, and that's going to bring me back to you for a moment, Harry. Um, you recently wrote an article all about big data. Tell me about big data and how the IoT offering is a solution to global competitiveness. Oh yeah, big da- data is part and parcel of IoT. Um, really. What we mean by that is that what we're really doing with IoT is monitoring a whole lot of sensors, a whole lot of devices, uh, all on the internet, and and which requires massive storage because the the monitoring of a it's so many devices, b it's monitoring so regularly, and c the data is held for so long, and you need the data to be held so long because you want to do a lot of statistical analysis on that, um, and that's that's where it all comes in. Now we're not talking about people mulling over spreadsheets or anything like that. Uh, it's definitely the case of computers uh, trawling over the data. Uh, it's called data mining. It's a buzzword that they use a lot. Um, and 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 computers. These computers can be very uh, powerful. They use things like uh, AI or uh, artificial intelligence, and then machine learning to focus on what they need to do. And they can be very very efficient in what they do. Um, the beauty of the cloud, of course, is that you have limitless storage and limitless computer capacity. Because if you ever run out, you just build more and so it is seen as a as, a, as an endless uh, resource um, so really by the whole value of this of course is that the the, the by analyzing the, the the data so closely uh, you uncover a whole lot of things that you didn't know a lot of inefficiencies a lot of preventative maintenance uh, and, and and other things like that can, can be all be found and it's generally once once customers have access to that sort of information they're just so surprised they just learn about their plants things that they never knew were going on uh, have, have proven to be going on and uh, and that's how they they learn and how they improve what they do so, Jim, coming back to you then, 
your sensors are gathering that data. What are, are you working closely with Backoff to um, educate customers on um, how they can access the data and what they can do with it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the education side of the consortium is, is events like this and exhibitions, etc. Uh, we also do a, a lot of uh, hands-on training. We, we ran a training course with the Australian Industry Group. Uh, last year uh, or the year before where we, we did lots of hands-on sessions with higher level management to give them an idea of how easy it is to gather this information uh, and then kind of spread the word to the organization. Uh, we're also very active with uh, universities, the likes of UTS, Swinburne, Flinders, etc. where um, there are lots of IIoT and Industry 4.0 courses that are being created uh, and they're starting to, to deliver. Um, so sure, when when a customer has or a, a client has a, a specific uh, request, uh, and obviously we're, we're we're experts in our part of the consortium, but not in everything. So uh, yeah, we we absolutely make a a combined uh, presentation, a combined representation to the customer to help them out. And what trends are you observing among your clients specifically about the when it comes to the uptake of Industry Four? Um, I, I think. Um, as, as Harry mentioned, there's a, whilst we may be lagging behind, there is a real openness uh, to, to adopt the Industry 4 and IIoT uh, concepts. Um, one of the things that we see a lot of is to, to look at monitoring rather than controlling. So uh, production lines are set up. They work really well, really efficiently, but you don't always uh, have access to all of the information that's been generated within the, uh, the process. So if you can just monitor what's going on and extract on a different level, so the, the PLC still takes the information and makes the decisions about the process, but at the same time, you can extract that information up to a higher level. And in the control system, you can then make correlations. Uh, you know, what happened on the control system uh, on a certain machine when something happened at machine A, did it affect what went on at machine B? Uh, when the weather changed, when the deliveries came in from a different supplier, does that have what effect does that have on the overall process? Uh, so we're seeing that that sort of thing is is, is really uh, effective. And uh, as Harry mentioned, uh, sometimes the, the clients are still until they start seeing the data being generated, they don't necessarily appreciate what value there is in that data. So an example recently, we did a, a, an installation with a, a company. Is using press tooling, and it was all around preventative maintenance of the, the press tooling. And the information about how many cycles the press tools had done was, was fed to the uh, tool room. Uh, and this, this was all really good information, that, and, and it improved the preventative maintenance process as we expected. One of the unexpected benefits was that uh, that information is now being used by the sales team because the, the tooling is actually owned by the end customer. So the automotive company or whatever, uh, and the visibility that they know how me- what's the lifetime of that tooling, uh, that's really important information for the sales team. And that's a, a really unexpected um, benefit from, from that Industry 4 installation. Yeah, surprises around every corner when it comes to Industry 4. Um, now, Joseph, I want to go down a slightly different path. Jim and Harry have both spoken about companies being more open uh, to looking into upgrading their manufacturing, automating their manufacturing, integrating Industry 4. One of the reasons for that is there is a renewed focus on manufacturing here following the pandemic. Now, it has turned the world and supply chains upside down, but it has also given a boost to manufacturing in many sectors. Has SMC seen a more rapid uptake in Industry 4 ad- adoption as a result of COVID? 
Yeah, I mean, it certainly has, um, Lindy. Um, you know, I, I think there's been a conversation around Industry 4 has started probably long before COVID um, and it's been going for quite a while. It's just, you know, obviously the COVID, unfortunately, um, to admit, it has sped up that process and the uptake for obvious reasons. And, you know, there's a lot of benefits in adopting this type of technology that allows you more flexibility and to, you know, prolong business continuity, I suppose, in many ways. One of the... Um, Architects once said, I think it was a, a quote that I read somewhere that, you know, Stone Age didn't ran, end because we ran out of stones. So it's just we had to rethink about how we leave and move forward. So it's one of those industry four, it's probably one of the, the closest things I can align to that quote is, you know, at, at some point we have to um, focus on our manufacturing and how do we rethink that manufacturing? So how can we do things better? How can we do things more efficiently? How can we do things more sustainably as well? You know, how can we prolong the manufacturing process? How can we bring that manufacturing process back to the countries where it was no longer sustainable? So these are some of the more common questions and, and conversations that we are having with customers as well. So, um, and obviously leveraging all the technology the industry for promises and the concept that it presents to people is something that certainly has proved to be viable in many instances. Um, I think Jim obviously um, uh, mentioned a couple there as well and Harry. It's a very subjective topic, I suppose, because everybody, as Harry said, and Jim, everybody knows their process. Where do you start? So everybody's looking for a different outcome because everybody knows they're experts in what they do, obviously, but they are looking for different outcomes. Either they're looking for a more efficient process or they're looking to add functionality to their process or Potentially, they're looking to make it a more sustainable process to reduce the amount of energy or resources they are using, which is, for example, to just to touch on the energy sector, um, that is a huge topic and one of the driving pillars at SMC as well, which is we are working very closely with customers um, to obviously offset their um, compressed air usage and minimize it without impacting their production or in many ways um, improving their production as well. Um, and having the same output with the with less resources being used. And during lockdown, of course, and and restrictions, whether it's it's severe lockdown or just um, general restrictions that have been going on for now over eighteen months, companies that have been interested in having some more automation or some kind of integration with Industry Four, how have they managed to handle this changeover at this time? I suppose you know um, there's been many ways you can approach. So. Uh, Obviously, it's given, it's created a um, an opportunity for people to obviously sit down and reevaluate their potentially um, manufacturing process or specific functionality, um, and giving people back time in many ways. A lot of us aren't spending as much time traveling, obviously. So that's um, you know, you know, giving the people back that time to obviously be in one place long enough to have the time to have a look at a process, reevaluate what is the um, you know, how can we do this better, or how can we you know um, leverage off some of the technology to not have to travel to site and commission a machine, for example. So it, it, it's many again. It's just coming back to. You know, depending on whether it's a, a customer as an end user, a manufacturer, or whether the customer is an OEM and it builds machinery, it impacts everybody differently. But it certainly has created a, um, a situation where it's giving people opportunity to reevaluate how they do things and how they do business. And certainly, I'm sure in your own business, SMC has had to respond to the COVID challenge for your own business and also in your own adoption of Industry 4. 
Yes, yeah, I will certainly has. I mean, that's. I think SMC, we're very fortunate to be a very, we're built on a very resilient backbone. And that's that's a cultural thing as well, coming from a Japanese background. Um, and, you know, it, it's something that SMC has had to deal with in the past, which is, you know, external forces like a tsunami or an earthquake, which is something that is very common in that part of the world. And there are contingency plans that we built in to our um, uh, supply chain and our manufacturing processes to be able to respond to situations rapidly in those kind of cases. And I mean, one of the, um, you know, in any case, um, SMC's priority is to maintain customers' trust in our ability to deliver the components and supply um, what we have promised. So, and part of that is we have released a, um, a business continuity plan um, on our global website to reassure our customers on how we are planning to achieve that. And, and to continue that consistent supply. Thanks, Joseph. So I'm going to move across to you now, Max. I, I, um, we, we're talking about Industry 4. We're thinking smart factory. Um, I want to get to the muscle here. Nord supplies intelligent drive systems with an endless number, it would seem, of customizable application solutions. The key word is intelligent. So we're thinking smart. We're thinking intelligent. Is demand from Australian manufacturers for intelligent drives as standalone equipment purchases or is their demand as more of an overall smart factory integration? Thank you, Lindy. I think that brings us to the principle of scaling. So we see demand for both options in the market. Often we start as a first step to equip an existing plant with an intelligent drive as a standalone solution. So the customer has a certain problem or task for us and Nord uh, steps in as a solution provider. So we come in with an intelligent drive, we generate data, we might uh, even supply an HMI or an industrial PC to display that data and develop a dashboard with the customer to visualize according to their needs. We even do um, local PLC programming for them and with them to have like a small standalone solution. Often this initial initial project leads to bigger projects or to hold smart smart factories. In that case, and normally another OEM or an integrator would have the overall lead on the project and not would be part of the, uh, the suppliers integrating into that. In many cases, then we collect data locally pre-process that data and have to be able to dock into there. Often it's a, it's a cloud-based system that we have to uh, dock onto. And we gained a lot of experience in both kind of projects. The bigger one then would be the yeah, lead to a smart factory with a lot of components interacting and maybe a higher PLC uh, or even a computer with AI processing the overall data. So it seems to me that you would need to have um, good partnerships with various integrators. Yes, definitely. I think that goes both ways. So we see our customers as our partners. So we learn from them, but they they also rely on us as a consultant for the drive industry. So normally we will get the input from an integrator, what is required and what is the overall system design. And Nord can, with with having a lot of expertise from uh, our global presence, we can also give our input 
for the solution we anticipate and the components and this can be third party con components as sensors or the right bus system or yeah bus extension module safety options to help the customer achieve that vision Sure. Much like the body, it's a very complex organism. Um, and it's good that you are all able to work together. Now, Wade, we can hardly have a conversation about Industry 4 without talking about robotics. Uh, robotics is already the next big thing in automation. It is not just in industrial robots, of course, but also the smaller guys, the collaborative robots. And KUKA is, has got um, fingers in both pies as such. So can you Tell me, my question to you is, how is Australian industry faring in the race to get robotized? And are we on a par with other developed countries? And which types of robots are seeing the most uptake? So that's three in one question. Good luck. Off you go. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So in, in terms of um, you know, how we're doing with, with other countries, um, Australia has a really long history of innovation and you know, we've been deploying robots in Australia for decades now. So... Um, a lot of the technology that we're deploying today is, is not necessarily new. There are, of course, big advancements with collaborative robots and, and the next emerging technology is really mobile robots. So there's some, some really interesting things happening in that space and that opens up the possibilities for applications that we, we couldn't do 10 years ago. So there's, there's definitely a, a growth in, in that. In terms of... The market today, we, we see it as being fairly fragmented. So we have some incredibly innovative companies within Australia using really advanced technologies and, and really competitive on a, on a global scale. But we also have uh, big parts of our market that are lagging behind that are, haven't taken up the technology that's been readily available for, for decades. So, yeah, we've got a little bit of work to, to catch up in, in, in that sense. Looking to other countries, so, you know, Countries like uh, Germany, Japan, uh, South Korea and Taiwan you know, are really the, the countries with you know, big uptake in, in robotics. But you can't sort of talk about that without looking at what industries those countries have as well. So those countries are you know, very strong in automotive or, or electronics and they tend to be very robot-rich type uh, you know, market segments. So I think when we look at... Um, Australia and, and you take out that, you know, we're, we're doing okay, but there's, there's definitely uh, a lot of room to do more. And what, what do you find um, when you're dealing with customers in the manufacturing space? What are the typical roadblocks to adopting robotics? I think the biggest thing is confidence. And that might be confidence in the technology or it might be confidence in their own business. So in terms of the technology, a lot of the time companies want to be the first to be second. You know, they don't necessarily want to be the, the first ones. They want, to, they want to be innovative, but show me where somebody else has done it before. Um, so those two, two ideas kind of fight against each other a little bit. Uh, in terms of confidence in their own business, especially when we talk uh, consumer goods and, and food and bev, we've got a huge number of manufacturers in Australia that you would class as small, medium-sized manufacturers. And they've only got sort of a couple of channels to market the the retail landscape is, is a little bit of a challenge there. So uh, they've got to have confidence that they've got long-term supply through those channels in order to make the investments that maybe have a two or three-year payback. So um, they're probably the two things that we see you know, most often. Thanks for that. I mean, I think that this is going to continue to be a very interesting conversation, robots, cobots, and 
pretty soon in a couple of years time we'll be saying well why are we even talking about it it's it's as, it's as natural as <laughs> you see it, it on the in the supply chain you'll see it everywhere and certainly to to come back to the supply chain uh joseph if you don't mind i'm going to come back to you now the supply chain has been highlighted as a key focus area for manufacturing investment. We're talking all about resetting the supply chain. We've seen what happened as a result of COVID when our supply chain got broken. Explain how Industry 4 implementation can help to manage the supply chain. Well, it can certainly um, yeah, manage it in many different ways. I mean, one of the things is, you know, having the sensors and that kind of like intelligence coming back to a central location in Lindy is and evaluating that data that um, Harry mentioned as well. I mean, the the big data is a critical component here. And what it does, it does paint quite a large picture and a portrait of what's happening in the manufacturing process in many ways for a customer. And one of the things that we've seen for the customers who've already taken that path and and gone down that road and the experience that they've had afterwards was quite um, revealing in many ways because uh, they, even talking to people who have built the, the actual um, machine itself or that whole manufacturing line um, found areas on that machine and learned things about the manufacturing process that they weren't aware of before only by simply actually going through the process. So, and, and that comes down to understanding uh, the certain behaviors, the certain like uh, usage of energy, the certain um, amount of uh, of resources that are being used at different times of the day or on a different manufacturing shift or depending on which operators uh, are using, uh, you know, machinery and the tooling. So there's quite a lot of information that comes back from that large data analysis. Um, that in itself doesn't only impact the manufacturing process, but what it does is actually allows you to, you know, look at the supply chain differently because, it's, it's almost like a seasonal report. So you look at how much, um, you know, what time of the year you're manufacturing, how much of resource did you use during July or during August or during um, holiday season. And you can start looking at your supply chain and placing orders accordingly to how much you would need at a certain time. And what that does is optimize the storage, storage space for one reason. Um, uh, there's a huge thing for a lot of customers. Where do they store raw materials? And how much do they hold at any given time? And how much of the investment do they tie up in actual uh, raw resources? You know, and obviously taking into consideration the deliveries as well. So how much do we need to order at one time to compensate for the um, you know shortage in delivery or the extended delivery times at the moment. So there's quite a lot of that can be derived from that large data. Jim, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would also like to add in there really that um, there's an opportunity to to make the supply chain shorter effectively because if, if as a, a manufacturer uh, and I, I need because of the um, the orders that I've got on the book and, and certain parts need to be re- replenished or reordered. Um, if my supplier knows about that at a very early stage and, and by sharing the information, generating and sharing the information between the supply chain, the supplier can be manufacturing the new parts before my purchasing team know that they need to place an order. Uh, and that, that shortens the whole supply chain dramatically. And Harry, would you like to weigh in on that? 
Yeah, definitely. There's there's all sorts of uh, efficiencies that can be gained once you have the data. Um, this is all about big data. Data, I, I just can't make that point strongly enough. It's it's really the currency of what we're dealing with in terms of double IoT. And yeah, as Jim said, there's all sorts of ways of, of, of shortening supply chains. Um, the other big thing we see is predictive analysis. They can see trends um, of you know, stockouts is a classic one where a company will run out of stock because they just didn't order uh, enough product on time. Um, and we're not just talking about reordering once the, the stock level reaches zero. No, no, we can see, we could track that or computers could track that and then make decisions uh, on the fly and uh, overcome a lot of these these issues, the traditional issues that we've been having. So, yeah, it's, supply chains is a classic one the, the, uh, of where big data can help uh, resolve many of these issues. So, Max, when your company, Nord, goes into your clients or your customers, and you're there to supply geared drive systems, um, which is going to make a specific part of their production line function better. Are you finding they're also asking the bigger picture question of the fuller smart factory option and talking industry four on a bigger scale with you? Yes, they certainly do because um, being one of the suppliers often means we can bring in knowledge from previous projects, other customers, and help them to avoid, let's say, we bring in ideas, but we also help to do fault finding and avoid mistakes. And those questions can be around the drive system, but can be also around sensors we recommend up to um, safety and shielding issues, um, bonding issues, connectors we, we recommend. So it's the whole system around the drive that we, we are consulting the customer with, yes. So what I'm hearing from you also coming through that is that your drive systems are integrated relatively easily into industry four factories. What does the client have to do from their side to facilitate the integration of Nord drive systems with other intelligent equipment that they might have in their plant? I think our main principle as a company is to be as open as possible. So we try not to lock the customer in into a proprietary system, but we, we use for example, Ethernet-based bus systems such as Ethercat to communicate with a back-off PLC. But we have a switchable ship on board, so we can switch that to, for example, a Profinet or Ethernet IP um, because many projects are brownfield projects. So there might be multiple PLCs or multiple systems already installed. On the other hand, we also try to keep the PLC programming languages as open as possible. So we work with structured text or instruction list, uh, which are taught at every university and uh, common common language um, for, for any programmer. And that goes down to a mechanical level. So we have used various plugs depending on the protection level required on the IP level or the shielding required. So we completely follow the customer uh, according to their preferred setup and configuration. We also pre-configure um, the whole system in our workshop. So we deliver a plug-and-play solution with pre-loaded software, pre-loaded parameters, and uh, pre-configured plugs and cables. So in the end, the customer gets a ready-to-go solution to put on their drive shaft, and that uh, makes it easier for them. 
Sounds very simple to me. Hmm. Um, but yes, I mean, complexity made simple effectively because of all the interconnectedness and all the technology that um, the, the whole group brings to this, this table. Now, speaking of the ability to integrate something relatively easily, robotics, Wade, what are the top three benefits of robots in the industry for or smart factory environment? Yeah, look, I, I think the... Um the really uh, emerging areas at the moment is uh, sensitive or, or mobile robots. So robots that allow us to complete tasks that we had never been able to do in the past. And, and that might be through human-robot collaboration where you know, the combination of a person plus a, a bit of automation working together produces a better result than you know, either of the two working independently or where a, a level of sensitivity allows us to you know, connect, um, you know, do assembly-type tasks that were, were difficult in the past. So that's one one area. Another area that's sort of emerging with robotics and, and Industry 4 and, and these sort of philosophies is different concepts around production. So moving away from maybe the production line and moving toward concepts like matrix production and, you know, patch size uh, one. So, you know, we've been able to produce high volumes of, of products very efficiently up until this point. And part of the goal into the future is to be able to really reduce those batch sizes and have flexible solutions that can quickly and easily adapt to you know, changing consumer demands and customised products for, for individual customers. And then yeah, the, the last theme, I, I guess, is you know, high levels of connectivity you know, with, uh, with other systems. So like um, the, the rest of the team have been talking about here, you know, the ability to you know, gather data and, and use that to, uh, to improve facilities. And you know, in the context of, of robotics, that's uh, things like predictive maintenance and, and being able to better plan out you know, the, uh, the utilisation of equipment and rather working on a, a fixed schedule, being able to actually track you know, how's the, the equipment performing and you know, spotting you know, when we need to, uh, to go and do a service. Yeah, rather than um, doing on a fixed schedule, yeah, maximizing the uptime of, of factories. Well, it's come to that time in the podcast, unfortunately, where we've got to wrap it up. So I'd like to give you all the opportunity to have one last word. In your crystal ball, can you tell me what you think the future holds for Australian manufacturing and what is the most urgent change we need to make to ensure that our industry, our manufacturing industry, not only uh, survives, but also thrives. I'm going to go throw the ball to you, Joseph. Thanks, Lindy. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's certainly a, um, an interesting question. If we all just had a crystal ball, it would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't so, it? Yeah. Um, I think it is sort of certainly heading down the right path. And I think the, we certainly need to leverage more from the technology that's around us. And I think it's been mentioned a few times already um, during the podcast that, you know, there's, there is a lot of technology that is being underused and not utilized to its fullest capacities as well, that most of us, our suppliers are providing already to the customers, um, utilizing the resources around us to um, leverage of all of that 
that's already there and a lot of it's already there and a lot of it can be added to upgrade systems to um, leverage even further and bring back the, that manufacturing process here where you know, it can be sustainably manufactured as well um, if we just collectively look at um, the collaboration of the components and you know, seek the right advice and head down that path and start somewhere. Um, sometimes it's just a matter of starting small. We don't have to take on the whole um, you know, factory at once. So it's a matter of taking one step at a time and, and just starting the process and continuing building on that on that foundation. And once we have that data, we start collecting that data, as, as, as Harry said, and, you know, we do tend to start seeing a lot of areas that previously we had a blind spot in, you know, potentially, and start understanding our manufacturing process a lot better. Um, and that's probably certainly where we can start the process. Jim, weigh in. I think, first of all, we, we, we're in really exciting times. The, the technology is uh, becoming available and becoming you know, readily available for, for everybody to embrace. I think really uh, that we, we need to work together. Uh, we need to work together as suppliers, uh, as manufacturers to build that competitive edge for Australia. And it's all about partnerships and collaborations uh, and collaborative way of working rather than a, a customer-supplier relationship. It's all about collaboration uh, to gain the maximum value and give ourselves the best possible advantage. Well, yes, and collaboration is really what you're doing right here in this open IoT platform. Max, your view? As a German who uh, recently just came to Australia before this pandemic, I'm actually positively surprised by the speed local OEMs are actually catching up and things are developing. And during a time where due to the 5K Uh, zone restrictions. I couldn't even go to Woolies and pick up my local milk. Um, my team was able to set up whole distribution centers uh, via Ethernet-based communication and uh, keep our customers running. And uh, I see Australia and the rest of the world more and more developing into these internet-based um, services, into automation, into automating production lines and taking the need to have somebody locally on site out of the process because that's what's needed in these new times. And uh, I'm, I'm positive this trend will continue. Certainly, necessity being the mother of invention. Um, we can do hard things now that, that we thought were previously impossible. Wade, what's your view? I, I've got to agree. There's been some really good advancements in, in the last couple of years in, in terms of uptake of automation. But when we look at the global landscape, you know, China is the biggest growth market for robotics right now. So if we don't continue to invest, we're really going to start to fall behind uh, the rest of the world. But the, the other good news is that we do have some pockets of you know, incredibly advanced little clusters of, of innovation within Australia. And I think we need to look for more of those little pockets where we can really excel and be world leaders and especially where we can leverage off Australia's natural resources. Now, Harry, as the brains, I've saved you for last. <laughs> well, thank you, Lindy. Um, yeah, look, I agree with Jim. Uh, it is, they are, these are really exciting times. Uh, I, I can see a real change happening in the market, um, particularly in people's attitude. Uh, I know it sounds strange, but I feel that in the past there's been this sort of, oh, it's easy just to import it from 
China or elsewhere around the world. Whereas now, I think we realise we just can't rely on those overseas markets. The, the world is much more, much less stable, I think, than we thought. And uh, and so, yeah, these things happen. COVID does happen. Yeah, in, in terms of OOT, look, I, th- I think the main thing is sharing of data uh, amongst uh, the systems. Um, I, I think the, the, the age of proprietary systems, which sat in the corner and didn't talk to anyone or didn't do anything else, that's more or less over. It's much more everything working together now um, and uh, through common communication uh, platforms. I think that's a very important um, uh, cog in this all. This is the education system. I think that the unis and the, and the TAPEs, for that matter, the technical colleges, need to also become involved. Well, they are involved, but they play a crucial role because there's still a lot that needs to be uh, happen in terms of the workforce. Um, but look, we are innovators, um, Aussies, us Aussies. We 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 do pretty well um, with this sort of thing, uh, and I think I think I, I could just see the real change coming now. Well, thanks to all of you for this collaborative conversation and for the work that you're doing to educate our industry through the Open IOT platform. It certainly gives me hope, collaborations like this, um, for the future of our manufacturing industry. Well, thank you, gentlemen. And thank you also, Lindy. This has been an amazing discussion. Uh, Very fascinating to hear where we're going on uh, the whole IOT world. And of course, thanks to the folks who have joined us on this episode. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.